Well, Father, we come to you and we are again so thankful for the precious blood of Jesus that has washed us completely clean where we can come to you as if we've never done a thing wrong. So, Father, we thank you. We don't look at ourselves through our eyes. We look at ourselves through the lens of grace, through the lens of your son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you, Father, for your goodness. We thank you for what you have in store for us today. In Jesus' mighty name, we believe, we receive insight. We take that now. We expect revelation knowledge to flow. Father, we just right now just take a moment to thank you for the anointing that is in this room. Because, again, it's the anointing that destroys the yoke lifts burdens, and we thank you for that, sir. It's the anointing. And so we put a demand on that anointing today in Jesus' precious name. Amen, amen. Awesome. Now, aren't you thankful for him that he shows up? Because, man, it's, I mean, you could put something together. People put it together. Yeah, you had a good time, but it's Jesus that makes the difference. It's the anointing of God that actually act, not only introduces you to the word, but also breaks things off you in my life. So the anointing is what we're after. So let's start here. First John chapter five. Did anybody memorize this yet? Or we will keep doing it. <laughs> Judging by your laughing, it's we're going to keep reading it. Okay. <laughs> First John chapter five, verse one. Again, I love this because we're talking about victorious. This is who we are. The church is victorious. That means you are not this building. Not when I come to it, wherever you go, you are a walking victory. So this is what God is trying to get across to you and I. So in verse one, he says, everyone who believes that Jesus is the Messiah, is God's spiritual child, and has been fathered by God himself, and everyone who loves Father God loves his children as well. This is how we can be sure that we love the children of God, by having a passionate love for God, and by obedience to his commands. True love for God means I obey his commands, and his commands, I love this, they don't weigh us down as a heavy burden. Verse 4, you see, every child of God, what's that really good word to us, dangerous to the devil? Overcomes. Every child of God overcomes the world, for our faith is the victorious power that triumphs over the world. So who again are the world conquerors defeating its power? Those who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Man, what a good place to be. Jesus is the Son of God. What does that do? It makes me a victorious one, a overcomer. Now, I just, again, looked up in the, just some Greek, Greek things on this. The, world, the word overcome, again, you know, in John 6, 16, 33, Jesus told his disciples, he said, you will have many trials and many tribulations. Right? We all know that part. But he says, be of good cheer, for I have overcome them all. That word overcome is the same word overcome that you see in 1 John 5, verse 4. So, you know, I can have this, you know, why, why can we celebrate? Why can we be excited? Because no matter what comes our way, overcoming is for you. That's who you are. So we have to identify with Jesus, not with the problem that I may be facing. He says, I overcame him also. My, my status is whenever something comes my way, I overcome all the time. Why? Because Jesus made me that way. Now, again, this word overcome simply means this, to succeed in dealing with problems or difficulties. Secondly, it also means to defeat an opponent. The synonyms of this from the Greek word would be every child of God conquers, defeats, subdues, prevails, masters, and overthrows the world. That's who you are. That's who I am. Say, that's who I am. All right. Don't make me come back there because we will. Now, 
Let's go to Hebrews chapter 11 here for a moment. And the Bible really clearly lays out, okay, this is who I am, but I may not be seeing overcoming. So again, we're learning the tool that overcomers use. Overcoming is not just automatic. That's who you are, but now you have to enforce that overcoming victory over the enemy. That's, that's your and my responsibility. God's responsibility was the big part. He had to make you an overcomer through the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, you and I are here to occupy. We're here to enforce the victory that God has already given us. Yeah? Okay, so we're now lo- you are learning how to operate and use this tool called faith. This is the common denominator. So faith isn't just what the Christian religion is in. What faith are you in? That's not what this is about. Faith is literally a God-given tool given by God himself that you and I overcome this evil victorious world or to be victorious in this world. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, if you read, I would really encourage you, right after church today, before you even eat lunch, read Hebrews chapter 11. It'll absolutely bless your socks off. Now, you can see it through it. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken from this life. I don't have this on the screen, so you can just hear this. Uh, He was taken from this life, so he did not experience death. How did he do it? By faith. By faith, faith, Noah, when warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear, he built an ark. How did he do it? By faith. By faith, Abraham even offered up his only son, Isaac, on the altar. How did he do that? By faith. By faith, Moses' parents... So not Moses yet. His parents, they operated in faith. They hid him for a season because we all remember that Pharaoh was going to throw every baby boy two years and younger, he'd throw him into the Nile River. They hid him by faith for three months because they did not fear the king's command. How did they do that? By faith. Then go by faith. Moses left Egypt not fearing the king. By faith, the people... Of Israel, they passed through the Red Sea. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell. By faith, the prostitute Rahab welcomed the spies, and she was not killed with the disobedient. So how did all these people do it? By faith, by faith, by faith, by faith, by faith. This is how we overcome this evil world. How? By faith. And we know faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So we're going to get into that a little bit today. But I want you to see now in verse 32, we're going to read to the end of this chapter. So I already did half your homework for after church for you right here. Verse 32, he says, and what more could I say to convince you? For there is not enough time to tell you of the faith of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Japheth, David, Samuel, and the prophets. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms. Now, I want you to notice, through what? Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith, say it, their faith. What did it do? It fastened on to their promises and pulled them into reality. It was, come on, it was, come on, y'all, we got to say the F word in the church. It was, that shut the mouth of lions, continue on, put the power, put out the power of a raging fire that caused many to escape certain death by the, the sword. Although weak, their imparted power to make them strong, spark courage within them, and they became mighty warriors in battle, pulling armies from another realm into the battle array. 35, it says, faith-filled women saw their dead children raised in resurrection power, yet it was that enabled others to endure great atrocities. Man, this this part really stirred me up. I cried sitting in Tim Hortons the other day reading this. They were stretched out on the wheel and tortured and didn't deny their faith. They refused. 
in order to be freed because they longed for a more honorable and a more glorious resurrection. Others were mocked and experienced the most severe beating with whips. They were in chains and imprisoned. Some of these, I love this word, faith champions. Some of these faith champions were brutally killed by stoning, being sawn in two, or slaughtered by the sword. These lived in faith as they went about wearing goatskins and sheepskins for clothing. They lost everything they possessed. They endured great afflictions, and they were cruelly mistreated. They wandered the earth, the earth living in the desert wilderness, in caves, on barren mountains, and holes in the earth. Truly, the world was not even worthy of them, for they did not realize who they were. They says these, now these were and are the true heroes of faith. Commended for their faith, yet they lived in hope without, notice this, without receiving the fullness of what was promised them. Why? Verse 40, because God has invited us. Say it, me. I've been invited to this, to join in something better than they had, which is faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to the finished perfection alongside of us. So when we say, hey, we got a seat at the victorious table, guess who you're sitting beside? These heroes and champions of faith that, hey, yeah, some of them we see and they recognize the couple in the beginning, you know, Abraham, Enoch, absolutely. Then also those that were sawed in half. They held on. That takes something to hold on and say, take me out. I'm, I'm, do, do whatever you got to do. I am not letting go of my faith in God. That's a good way to go. You die how? You die in faith in God. <laughs> You don't want to die any other way. So these people held on no matter what. So now we're sitting at this victorious table. What is the common denominator that these heroes operated by? Because they're victorious. The Bible calls them victorious, so they are. <laughs> so I want to follow suit after who these people are. Anybody else? I mean, that's me. I want that so bad. So again, now, how do these heroes operate? And what do we do? For us, you and I as believers in this day and age, look at this Hebrews chapter 12, going right along what we just read. In verse 1, he says, As for us now, we have all these great witnesses who encircle us like clouds, so we must. Say, I must. So I must let go of every wound that has pierced us and the sin that we so easily fall into. Then we will be able to run life's marathon, the race that with passion and determination for the path has already been marked out before us. Verse 2 is what I want to get to. We look away. So how did these heroes of faith do it? They looked away. So what do we do? As for us, we look away from the natural realm and we fasten our gaze onto Jesus, who is the word, who birthed faith within us, and who leads us forward into faith's perfection. This is where you're, you and I are going into this place called face perfection because what God's got planned for you and I is more than just waking up, going to work, and doing that repeat over and over and over again. You and I are here, according to Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 10, we're here to demonstrate and reveal the wisdom of God to the demons, to the angels, and all of all of God's creation. That's the point that the church is supposed to take. So you and I aren't just these little weaklings down here. You and I, there's a, you are a big deal in God's eyes. Okay, so what do we do? We look away from the natural realm and we focus our attention and expectation onto the word. This is how the victorious live. This is what we do. Okay, so what do the victorious have in common? Again, they look away from the natural and they focus their attention on Jesus or they live their lives in the truth. 
regardless of what the world says, regardless of what society thinks, regardless of those progressive thinkers that are out there, we stick to the word. Amen? All right, now let's look at this in 3 John chapter 3, or sorry, chapter 1 verse 3. Again, he's saying, I was filled with joy and delight when the brothers arrived and informed me of your faithfulness to the truth. They told me how you live continually in the truth of Christ. Verse 4, it is my greatest joy to hear of my life to hear that my children are consistently living their lives in the ways of truth. Cause it would be truth. How do the victorious live? In truth. So if you were to sit at this long table of these people that are encircling us, what would they say? I live my life in the truth of what God said. Even though they said this, even though they think that, even though doctors said this, even though, you know, financiers say this, I live my life based on what God said because God is faithful to his word. That's how they would talk. So again, at this table, it's different than the religion table. Religion table will try to explain things, why it doesn't work. And, you know, sometimes God does do it and sometimes he doesn't. Either God is, backs his word or he doesn't. You and I have to make that decision, especially the days that we're going into. We're going to have to hold on to every word that he said or or what? Uh, there's no other or. You just don't make it. Either we're in or we're not. There's no more uh, kind of gray on this. No, it's either black or white. Okay. Now, why is the truth such a big deal? Ephesians six fourteen. I don't have this on the screen. But it says because to, the Bible tells us to stand against the, the tactics of the enemy, we are to put on truth. Come on, say it. Put it on. I put on truth. Again, not my truth. Not my opinions, not what other people think, not what professionals think. I put on the truth, again, which is the word of God. And why do I do this? I put it on as a belt to strengthen you and I to stand in triumph. Oh, this is it. So how do, why do I got to put it on? This is the only way the victorious live is I'm standing in the truth of God's word. Now, what is the truth? Again, John 14, verse 6. Anybody know this one? Oh, you can read. Awesome. Okay. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Those are big statements. Jesus to say, I am. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one gets to the Father except through union with me. What's he saying here? That the truth or reality is only found in me. So Jesus and what he says is more real than what I see naturally. What Jesus is, who he says he is, what he said in his word is more real than what I feel. Come on, y'all, this is a big deal. This is what separates us from the losers victorious. This is what changed all these people. They believed it without a shadow of a doubt. Then who is Jesus? John chapter 1, verse 1. I love these words. He says, in the beginning, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. So God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. And the word gave life, or Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. So who is the word? Jesus is the word, and the word is Jesus. Now, when you see in Scripture that Jesus is teaching the word, it's the word teaching the word to people. 
And verse 14 makes sense of that. So then it says, so the word became human and made his home among us. Oh, now the word is teaching the word about word principles to word people. That's a dangerous cycle. And this is how the victorious live in these last days. And again, the word or Jesus, he was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the father's one and only son. Amen. Jesus is the language of God. We speak English. God speaks son. So if you're asking, what is the message of God? It's Jesus. <laughs> That's why we sing Jesus. What does heaven sing? Jesus. He's a big deal. Now, let's continue on in this a little bit here. Jesus is the word. Now, I want to show you and I from the word of God, what's the difference between wisdom and foolishness? Or who is a wise person who would be operating as a fool according to the word? Not according to what we think, but according to the word. So let's go to Luke chapter 6 here for a moment because we're going somewhere today. Are we doing okay? Yeah. All right. Luke 6 verse 46, it says, What good does it do for you to say... I am your Lord and master if you don't do or do not put into practice what I teach. What good does it do for you? So the answer would be nothing. Okay, verse 47. Let me describe the one who truly follows me and does what I say. Ready? This is the person who hears the word and who does what the word says. Jesus said he is like a man who chooses the right place to build a house and then lays a deep and secure foundation. When the storms and the floods come, now notice it, it says when, not if, when. Somebody need to hear that today. When. You may be going through something right now, guess what? That's part of life. We live in a fallen world and there is garbage all over the place. So Jesus is explaining to you and I, when the storms and the floods rage, all of a sudden, when you think, man, I got one thing, all of a sudden, another spoke goes on the fire. There's another. How many things happen? That's the enemy's plan all the time, to steal, kill, and to destroy. But Jesus is explaining to you and I, when these storms and the floods, they rage, they go crazy all over you against this house. Now, notice what happens to the house. It continues. It continues to stand strong and unshaken through the tempest. For it has been wisely built on the right foundation. This got victory all over it. The devil doing everything he possibly can, but he can't do anything. Why? Because you are firmly built and unshaken of where you planted this house. I can't be moved. All right. Okay, then verse 48 or 49, it says, But the one who has heard my teaching... And does not obey it, he is like a man who builds a house without laying any foundation whatsoever. When the storms come again, when? The only way this guy survives, if there's no storms in life, which is impossible. So he's saying when the storms and the floods rage against that house, it will immediately collapse and become a total loss. So he asked, which of these two builders will you be? So the decision and the choice is up to you and I. So let me just replace some of these things here. From the word of God, we see that God's truth or his word, regardless of the storms that come our way, when heard and applied, will keep us strong and unshakable no matter what comes our way. 
Therefore, what is God's will for us? God's will for us is that we live victorious through the storms and through the, the, the craziness of life. That's his will. It's not his will that anybody be taken out by storms. That's his, can you see that's his will? Where people are throwing, oh, God just made me sick. Or God just allowed this problem to come on me so he would teach me something. False. God doesn't need that to teach you. He doesn't need to use the devil to teach you something. What does he have? He uses his word to equip you, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. He uses his word to equip you and I so that we are ready for every good work that comes our way. It's his word, it's his word, it's his word. The trials come, but the word shows that, hey, I've learned something. I'm standing on this rock. Unshakable. So God's will for my life is I live an unshakable life. That is good news. Secondly, we build our life for the storms. Because they're coming. We don't build our life for beachy days. <laughs> I know I got one of those posters too. Yeah, beach days. Yeah, I, I love those. But listen, the only way that you and I are going to survive this earth is if we build properly. Just to say, oh God, can you do this? Oh God, God, he's already done it all. Now he gave you his word so that I take it, apply it, and live my life off of it. Oh, that I'm unshakable. Gas prices could go to $4 a liter. And what would happen? Philippians 4.19 would still be the same. But where am I building my life? How is God going to get it to me? He'll get it to you. He will get it to you. And that's where you and I are learning to sit at this victorious table. Because listen, while there was complete darkness in Egypt, there was light in Goshen. You could cross borders and all of a sudden go dark, light, dark, light. I would have tried that if I was there. I'm in dark. I'm in light. Oh, ha. Sucks to be in Egypt. Great to be in Goshen. Absolutely. God knows how to take care of what is his. He knows how. He is faithful to his word to perform it. But I got to put it on. I have to give him something to work with, which is you and I living my life in truth. He has no greater joy than to hear and to see that his children live in truth. Now, verse 49 again says, which of these two builders will you be? So again... The choice is up to me. Where am I going to build my life? Who am I going to listen to and obey? Am I going to listen to the news? Because they got great news. Am I going to listen to the opinions of the professionals that are out there? And again, if I do so, whatever voice is informing me is forming me. Or am I going to incline my ear to the word of God and allow the word of God to give me a different picture? A word of God will speak different than what your bank account is telling you. So what am I going to believe? I don't get it. I have to stick with the word to give God something access to work with. I don't know how he's going to do it. That's not for you and I to figure out. We're not God. He is. My job is to trust him. Have faith in God, Jesus said. So that's my job. Have faith in him regardless of what happens. Now, again, what's the difference between these two individuals? The wise men, he dug deep and laid his life on the truth of God's word. So the wise man allowed God's word to shape his thinking, which is Romans chapter 12, verse 2. He says, don't let the, the customs and the traditions and what's going on in the world to actually form the way you think. Instead, be transformed with a new mind by changing the way you think. What do I change it to? To line up with this. The more I think like this, I need a good brainwash in this. So more and more I think like this, the more and more I speak like it, the more and more I act like it, the more and more I start to sit at the victorious table and start to see things happen in my life. I go, God, I, 
I see the evidence of your goodness. Your, your promise is in for, I don't know how you did it, but you did it. That's a good place to be. That's where I want to live my life. <laughs> All right. Whereas now the foolish man, he hears the word, but he allows the voices of others, professionals or whatever have you, to be more weighty or carry the same weight as what the word of God says. That does not work. So again, the foolish man, he basically goes through life hoping and pleading that nothing bad will happen to him because he can't handle another storm. He just went through something and, oh, God, that almost took me out. Well, the next one is on its way. So what do I do? I have got to build my life according to this word so that I can stand strong, unshakable, regardless of what comes my way. Now, so what do the victorious do? And again, I was praying about this. I got this picture. Anybody ever play any arcade games before? Thank you. Thank you, front row. Thank you. Okay. Anybody know what, you know, one of those games and you're, you know, maybe shooting guys, you're playing Froggy or something? Frogger. Fro- Frogger. Frogger. <laughs> <laughs> Assigned seating. You're going to be, okay. That's good. <laughs> you're playing Frogger and all of a sudden you die and then on the screen pops up, continue? Please insert five more quarters for... Click, 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 click. Well, I believe this morning what we ought to do is we got to put some more coins in our bucket. We're going to continue regardless of how things have gone, regardless of what things have looked like. You and I are called to continue. What do victorious people do? They continue. I may have been knocked down. I may have been made a mistake. I may have done something that I should have, but don't laugh at me yet, O oh enemy. For when I fall six times, I will arise seven. Regardless of what comes, I'm going to keep getting standing back up. Regardless of what maybe mistake I have, I'm going to keep getting up. This is who I am. Victorious people continue. All right. Continue in what? <laughs> oh, y'all want to preach this? You all sound better in the, in the word. In the, yeah, come on now. This is, this is it. Now, it sounds so simple. And you go, yeah, well, I know that. But yet it's got such compacting impact if we would do it. You know, I, I remember hearing this phrase, inconsistency lies the power. Inconsistency lies the power. So what do the victorious people do? The one we're going to just talk about today, just one of them, is that we continue in the word. Well, I've read that. Read it again. Well, I heard that. Hear it again. Well, I've seen that. See it again. How many times we just continue doing the same thing? Again, my background is kind of the sporting realm. And so in the sporting world, especially in soccer, like, yeah, you win some things. And, oh, yeah, it's good. We're going to continue to do those elementary things, those basic things, so that we're always up to base, we're always up to speed, we know what's going on, so that no matter what kind of pressure comes in the game time, we, it just goes back to what we practice. Boom, boom, we're ready to go. And that was soccer for you, those of you that were like, what kind of sport is he playing? Uh, the manly sport? It's a sport where people who don't know how to play hockey, you know, this is where we, this is where we go. Okay. All right, continue on before I get booed. Okay, continue in the word. Why do we believers need to continue in the word? Number one is freedom. Is freedom. Say it with me, freedom. Come on, like William Wallace, freedom. Okay, that was a bad Scottish accent. <laughs> I think that was from online or something, man. That was just, that was great. Okay. So John chapter 8, verse 31. (laughs) We got some William Wallace folk in here. Okay. But why do we continue in the word? Freedom. Jesus said this to the Jews that believed in him, when you continue, 
Not when you read once. When you continue to embrace all that I teach, you prove to be my true followers. Then verse 32, he shows the result of continuing to be in the word. He says, for if you embrace or when you embrace the truth or the reality that you see. See, this word is supposed to give you and I a different picture of what we see. Because what created this natural world? The spirit world. So the spirit world is more real than this natural world. And I know I'm just throwing scriptures here at you, but John chapter 6, verse 63, Jesus said, my words that I speak, they are spirit and they are life. That's what they are. So these words right here aren't natural words. They'll affect the natural, but these are words. They're spirit words, which obviously impact your spirit, man, have the ability to change the way you think, therefore the ability to change what you see naturally. The word does that. Because again, remember John 1, verse 1, in the beginning was the word. So everything started from a word, light be, light was. This is where it all begins. It begins with the word. So you and I, no matter what problems may come our way, the first question we have to ask ourselves in the beginning was the word. Okay, word, what do you say about this situation? Because you created all that is seen and you've caused me to be more than a conqueror. So in truth now I stand, what does the word say about this situation? What does the word say about this body? They may not be feeling good. What does the word say? The word says, I am well, I am healed. Well, I don't feel it. That's where you're going to have to make the decision. Do I believe what he said or do I believe what I feel and see? That's where we're going to split paths because I'm going to stick with the word regardless. Now, so I just, you know, I've heard this and I just need more freedom in my life. The reality is, some of you could probably preach this now. What do I need? I need word or I need truth in my life to get a different picture from what is seen. Correct? So, again, it's not God's will that any of his children be in bondage to darkness in anything. He doesn't want it. It's not his will. So let me encourage you, don't settle. Don't just go, well, I've had this pain for years. It's not a big deal. No, it ought not be on you. It doesn't belong to you. Why? Because it didn't come from him. I don't want it. (laughs) Okay. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. I'm not going to allow the devil and his lies to convince me otherwise. I'm not going to keep it. So what do I got to do? Well, I would just, I'll, I'll, okay, I'll, I want it off. I want it off. Where do I start? Start in the word. Yeah. No, Psalm 107 says he sent his word and healed them all. Amen. So what is it? It's his word. It's his word. It's his word. It's his word. And absolutely, God can do the miraculous. Come, we'll lay hands. Those are all Bible principles. We'll lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. But also in Proverbs chapter 4, it says, my word will bring life to those that find it and healing and health to all their flesh. What is he saying? The word has the ability to make itself come to pass in your and my life. So what do I continue in? The word. Well, I'm a little bit bored by it. Do it anyway. So rather, the more and more you do it, rather than the Bible putting you to sleep, now you're going to be reading going, man, I can't get enough of this thing. What's going to happen? Life is starting to form. Oh, I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it. You get jacked about a scripture, you'll be standing up going, freedom! What's wrong with you? Nothing. I, I, I saw a picture. And that's how you and I are supposed to live because the spiritual principle is I cannot have it unless I see it. When I see it, then I can see it. 
So many Christians are waiting to see it before they go, oh, I see it now. No, 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 no. You and I are trained. You and I have been given an imagination to actually see what God has already done. In Galatians, didn't Paul say that? He said, Galatians, we preach the gospel to you as if you were standing at the foot of the cross, beholding Jesus on the cross. You actually saw it. Were they there? No. But what happened? The Spirit of God, through the lips of the Apostle Paul and the preaching of the word, what happened revealed a picture on the inside of them where they saw Jesus on that cross and they go, we're free. We're free. You can have the exact same thing because why? The Spirit of God lives on the inside of you and I. He's here to form the image of Jesus' reality in your and my life. That's his job. So what do I do? Give him something to work with by getting into the word. Okay. Now, why else do I need to continue in the word of God? Freedom, number one. Number two, so the word now becomes my reality. <laughs> I've heard this. Actually, my mom, somebody said this about my mom. I don't know if it's another family member, but you live with your head in the clouds. She does. My mom is weird to a lot of people. She's weird to some of her own family. And do you know why that is? It's because her reality isn't this. You, are, you walk into her house, there are scriptures literally everywhere. I go, holy man, where's the, where's the cups? Oh, it's behind, you know, John chapter 3, verse 4. Oh, okay. Thank you. <laughs> Quote the scripture before you open the cupboard. Yeah, okay, mom. There's a cup. Thank you, mom. And there's cups all around those too. Just, dear Lord, that's her reality. So you can actually change your reality by allowing the word to shape and to mold it. Listen, we're talking about the victorious table. And you read about all those people in Hebrews chapter 11. This is what they did. This is how they lived in it. Living in sheepskins, being tortured, being chained, being chased. Ha oh, this is what they do. <laughs> oh, it's going to be us. Get ready, get ready, get ready, get ready. So we allow the word to shape our, our reality. Because again, again, too many times in our lives, what we see or feel is more real than what God said. And that's where the problem lies. So we need to change our reality to line up with the word of God. Because remember in Thomas, uh, not Thomas chapter 20, John chapter 20, <laughs> verse 25. But <in> Thomas, <laughs> remember he said, unless I see the piercings in his, in his hands, unless I put my finger in his side, I will not believe. So right there, there was this choice. So what was reality to him? No, no, no. I have to see it before I believe it. Not us. We believe it before we see it. Come on now, Patrick. You just, you're a good preacher man right there. All right. This is who we are. This is what we do. So now, James chapter 1. Let's turn here for a moment. Verse 22. He says this. Don't just listen to the word of truth. I love it. The word of truth. You have the spirit of truth in you who reveals the word of truth. Are you getting the picture? Truth. Spirit of God works with truth. Don't just listen to the word of truth and not respond to it. So again, this is the whole relationship with the Lord. This is the cycle of relationship. By grace, through faith. You can see it all the way here. Here's the truth being spoken. I respond to it. You and I never initiate anything when it comes to faith. We are responders to what he said, always. So truth is going out. You read it in the word. He says, don't just listen to it without a response because he said that is the essence of self-deception. That's where it begins, okay? So always let the word become like poetry written and fulfilled by your life. Verse 23, if you listen to the word and don't live it out, the message you hear, 
you become like the person who looks in the mirror, right? Everybody just think naturally for a second. You, you look at your face in the mirror. Y'all looked in the mirror this morning before you came to church. You look good, by the way. All right. Yeah. In the mirror of the word, you discover the reflection of his face in the beginning. You perceive how God sees you in the mirror of the word, but then you go on and you forget your divine origin. So what's he saying here? He said, seeing the man in the mirror is seeing how God sees you and I from the beginning before the foundation of the world. God doesn't look at you after your sin. He's got no recollection of it. Why? Because Jesus took care of that. So his image, what he sees you as, is how he saw you from before the foundation, before there was even an earth. God already saw you a certain way, and he wants you and I, through his word now, to see what he sees in creating you and I. That's huge. Oh, but I got this. Okay, that, that may be. But what does God see? And it's great that God sees it this way, but you have got to start seeing yourself this way too. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck in what you see. Did you know what you see can actually be a real horrible thing? Because it leaves you stuck. God sees you a completely different way, and you're trying to convince God, no, God, that's not right what you see. This is what I'm going to. This is who I am. This is my problems. This is the sin. This is the da-da-da-da-da-da. And he goes, whoa, 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 whoa. This is actually how I see you. And now when you start seeing it, awake unto righteousness and sin not. So when you awake to who you are in him, sin falls right off of you. Why? Because you won't want to waste your time in that mess. Why? You're too good for that junk. All right. Come on now. Verse 23. Where were we? 25. But those who set their gaze deeply into the perfecting law of liberty, or in other words, those that continue in the word of God, what's going to be happening? They're fascinated and respond to the truth they hear and are strengthened by it. They experience God's blessing in all that they do. This is where God's blessing is on those that hear and respond to what they hear. So God says, you are an overcomer. My response is, well, God, I'm not really over. I'm not though. Like, look at what's going on. My life's a mess. This is what I'm not an overcomer. You just left the mirror of what the word says. And now you're operating by what you see. And with God, that does not work. So what are you and I going to have to do? He's not going to jump in and say, yeah, you are a mess. Because if he says that, that's it for you. You are a mess for the rest of your entire existence, which is forever. But God, who calls those things which be not as though they were, how does he see you? He calls you flawless. But he doesn't know my path. He has got way more confidence in what Jesus did than in what you could or ever could do. So what do I do? I believe it. God, you say I'm flawless? What's my response to that truth? I'm flawless. You have a sound mind. What's my response? I have a sound mind. Nope, I have a sound mind. You have to keep talking back what the word's got to say. All right. That was it. Now, seeing things from his perspective. Colossians chapter 3, I'm going to finish off with you, and I believe this is what the Spirit of God wants to do this morning. But look at this. He says, if you're serious about living this new resurrection life, what do we do? Act like it. <laughs> okay? Act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ, what am I pursuing? The things, the reality, the truth over where Christ lives from. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, 
being absorbed with the things right in front of you in his stead. What did he say? Look up and be alert to what is going on around Christ. Why? Because that is where the action is. Meanwhile, we're trying to fight these natural little battles. And he's saying, whoa, 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 whoa. All of this, let's go to a higher level. Let's look up and be alert what's going around here. This is where the action is. This is where you, this is the root of all problems. You can fix it from this position. So he says, now see things from his perspective. And instead, we got CNN's perspective. We got Fox News's perspective. We got Prime Minister so-and-so. We got President so-and-so. We got Premier this, Premier that. This is what doctors say. Forget all about it. What does he say? From his perspective is where we live. All right. So now what do I do? Here we're going to begin. Right now, I believe this with all my heart. For this morning, God wants to reveal and remind you and I that there is no condemnation on you at all. None. Come on, say it with me. None. No condemnation. Condemnation is paralyzing. It'll keep you frozen. It'll keep you not moving forward. It'll keep you stuck and bound in this same old, same old. So this morning... Condemnation is off of you and I. Let me give you a couple of verses real quick. John chapter 1 verse 29. Again, what are we doing? We're seeing things from his perspective. We're taking the truth of God's word over what we feel, over what may I have done, over what everybody else may have to say, over what I say about myself. This is what God says and I'm going to stick with it. Ready? This is what John the Baptist said. When he saw Jesus coming to get baptized, he said the very next day Jesus or John saw Jesus coming to him to be baptized. John cried out, look, there he is. People going, wow, it's just, just a guy. He saw something different. He's God's lamb. What's he going to do? And he will take away. Take away literally in the Greek means to, like if you've got a big ship, to actually cut the anchor so the ship can sail again. This is what he came to do, to take away the sins, and not just the sins, but the guilt and the stain that it left. He come to take it off of the world. That's what he came to do. Okay, do you believe that? So my response is, yes, I believe that. Okay, look at this in Hebrews chapter 10. I really encourage you to read Hebrews chapter 10 in its fullness because it explains the Old Covenant, the Old Testament with the New Testament, and what's the greatest difference. And up to this time, what did high priests do in the Old Covenant? They had to do year after year, they had to do this huge celebration, so to say, to actually bring the offerings to the high priest so that they could have their sins covered for a time. But what would still be there? Their remembrance the guilt, the condemnation of what they've done the previous year. So obviously the, the blood of bulls and goats was not enough to get you and I free from condemnation, free from the penalty and the, the destruction of what sin did. So it says, and by his one perfect sacrifice, again now talking about Jesus, through his one perfect sacrifice, he made us. Now remember, from his perspective... He made you perfectly holy and complete for Sundays. <laughs> for what? For all time. This includes my Mondays through Saturdays and again on Sunday. It's good for all time. And then continuing out, go to verse 21 here for a moment. And it says, since now we have a magnificent high priest 
to welcome us into God's house. Verse 22, now we come closer to God and we approach him with an open heart, fully convinced that nothing will keep us at a distance from him. For our hearts have been sprinkled with blood to remove impurity. So what do I have to, I have to respond to that. So my heart, is there any impurity in it? It's gone. I have a clean, pure heart. You can acknowledge that. I have a pure heart. And we have been freed from an accusing conscience. Now we are clean, we are unstained, and we are presentable to God inside and out. So my response is what? I am clean. I am unstained. I, exact, I am presentable before God inside and out. Did you know what I did on the way to church this morning? I am clean and unstained because of what Jesus has done for me. That now has to become my reality. I have to see things from his perspective because he doesn't sit there and go, oh, you on the way to church this morning. Boy, you were sure fleshing out. All that ice and stuff. Yeah, I saw you cursing that ice. Wow. Chill out down there, man. What's wrong with you? That's not God. <laughs> but again, how we perceive him is how we receive from him. Do I perceive him like that? Do I see him as this harsh, cruel, domineering, dominating God? Or do I see this grace-filled God full of love and truth wanting to grow me up in his word? Romans chapter 8. This is my last little section here. Verse 1. I love this. It says, now the case is closed. So everybody, just get that fire filled. Everybody, first open it up for a second. Remember all those, all those things? All those past sins, all those mistakes, all that junk that you and I were involved in? Guess what he did? The case, he closed it. He says, there remains now no accusing voice of condemnation against those who are joined in life union with Jesus. So how many of you are joined in life union with Jesus? Meaning you've accepted Jesus Christ. The case is closed. Close the book. And he says, now there's no more accusing voice of condemnation to come against you. That's good news, isn't it? Then he goes down in verse 31. He says, so what does all this mean? Again, these talk in between verse 1 and verse 30. There is a lot of goodness in that verse. But he goes on to say, so what does all this mean? If God has determined to stand with us, again, remember our perspective, he's standing with me. Tell me who could ever stand against me. So God is right here, hand in hand. The case is closed. There's no more accusing evidence. No more accusing word of condemnation to come against me. So what do I do? I'm standing here. Now tell me who could ever stand against us. Your grade 12 teacher? Maybe your parents? Well, did you hear what did it? No, no one. What's that with no one? Oh man, verse 32. For God has proved his love. He proved it by giving us his greatest treasure, the gift of his son. And since God freely offered him up as a sacrifice for us all, he certainly won't withhold anything from us that he has to give. If he gave you Jesus, he'd give you anything. Now go to verse 33. So now again, who then would dare to accuse those whom God has chosen in love to be his? God himself, listen, is the judge who has issued the final verdict over them not guilty. Who are you today? Not guilty. How do you plead? 
not guilty. Well, you're saying you're not owning up to anything? No, it's gone. The case is closed. There's literally nothing left on me. So what am I? Not guilty. Verse 34, last verse here. So then, who then is left to condemn us? Certainly not Jesus, the anointed one, for he gave his life for us. And even more than that, he has conquered death and is now risen. He is exalted and he is enthroned by God at his right hand. So how could he possibly condemn us since he is continually praying for our victory? (laughs) Oh man, the devil messed with the wrong bunch. He tries to bring an accusing voice. What do you do? Oh, huh. hey, uh, judges, my dad. Dad, can we just stand here? Okay, devil. And who? look at my big brother. Now he's praying for my victory, the one who conquered death, who conquered sin, and he's pleading on my behalf, and he's saying he's not guilty. What do you and I have to be ashamed of? Nothing. Come on, say it with me, Nothing. And then he goes on to say, I put all my trust in his love. There's nothing that can separate me from the love that is found in God. There's nothing that can separate. No damage, no danger, no destruction, no famine. He goes on to listen, no demons above, no demons below. Nothing in all of creation and all that is unseen could ever separate you from the love which is found in Christ Jesus. There's nothing. So what do I do? I stand and I say, I'm not guilty. Not guilty. Can we just stand up this morning? I'm finished right here. But for you and I, I believe this, that the Spirit of God this morning wants to take, you know, he took that crown of thorns in his, in his head, literally, but also that impacted our soul. The stain of sin has been removed. So what do I have to do? Allow Jesus to be the healer, the restorer of my soul. Come on, Psalm says that he restores my soul. So I believe this. Can we just lift our hands to him? Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you for everything that your word says and declares, we receive by faith the freedom, the restoration, and the deliverance of our souls this very day. Come on, those things, those, those stings, those snake bites, those words that were spoken against you, those words that people may have thrown at you that tried to identify and latch onto you, that is not who you are. Thank you, Jesus. You are not that adulterer. That's not who you are. You are not an alcoholic. That is not who you are. So this morning, we boldly declare, say this with me. I have a sound mind. I am free, not guilty, delivered, bought by the precious blood of Jesus. Soul, you line up with this word. I am free. (sighs) Free. Well, just keep it just for another moment. Just let the blood of Jesus just wash all over that. Free. Lord, we give you those thoughts. We give you that pain, those words that try to latch onto us. We pass it off onto you. And we just receive what you say. Flawless, free, victorious, 
more than a conqueror through him who loved you. I just even have this parental guilt. Let that just wash over you. No, no, no. You, you didn't screw up your kid. Sure, you made mistakes. We all make mistakes. But the blood of Jesus and what he has done is more than able to fix, to restore, and to redeem what may have been lost in some of those relationships. So what do you do rather than, oh, man, uh, living in that guilt? No, 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 stop it. That's not going to help you. It's not going to help them. So what do I do? I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And from that place now, I lift up my child. And I pray over them. I speak life over them. I speak peace over their soul. Father, I ask you if there's an opportunity for me to speak truth and love to them, give me that opportunity. Or if somebody else could come in and speak life and truth. Lord, I'm asking you for that. But don't take that guilt. Leave it right here this morning. It doesn't go out these doors. It does not belong to you. That is a trap the enemy tries to ensnare on you, leaving you again paralyzed. And the condemning voice that that is, is brutal. So let's just talk to it for a moment. Okay, that thought comes. What do we do? I have to respond to the truth. Do I believe all those things? Yeah, that may have been the cause of what happened, but the truth is higher than what my experience may have been. So let's take now, the thought comes. You're a bad parent. This is what you said. If you would have done this differently, things would have panned out differently. So now we go, in the name of Jesus, I am righteous, holy, flawless above reproach in his eyes and now I lift up my son my daughter and Lord I plead the blood of Jesus over them I plead the blood of Jesus over them God cares about your family oh man he does so I don't need to care I just know that there's still something here for that a little bit. Can we just, let's cast that care. Father, we lift up our children to you, our grandchildren, nieces and nephews. We lift them up to you. In the name of Jesus, Father, we plead the blood of Jesus over them. We thank you for who you've made us to be. And from this place of victory now, we speak over their life, over their pathway. Be clear. We speak over their pathway life. We speak over their pathway grace. In Jesus' name. Oh, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Oh, you're good. Come on, just tell me you're good, Lord. You're good. Now we get a new picture. I see the evidence of your promises all over my life. Come on, I see, the, I see your faithfulness over my children. I see your faithfulness over my family, over my home. Even if they're adult and grown up with kids, I see your faithfulness all over their lives. Father, I thank you that your grace is going to meet them on that road. Father, thank you that they're going to be compacted hard, impacted hard by the grace and love of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. You are guiding and directing their steps now in Jesus' mighty name. Now, listen, from that place, you can just go, okay, I rest in that. Ah, it's a finished, I can rest in that. He loves your kids more than you do. So we can trust them with that. Amen.